You're listening to Inside the Athletic Mind with your hosts, Taylor Cook and Lauren Williams. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for female athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. In today's episode, we are joined by former NCAA and professional women's hockey player, Reagan Rust. You guys have probably seen her all over your TikTok and Instagram feeds. She makes some really amazing content as a content creator in the women's hockey and athletic space. Uh, She's recently done some work for the IIHF, and she has also been a huge advocate for mental health and offers a very safe and open space for people to connect with her in regards to that. So in this episode, we're going to be taking you through Reagan's story, how she went from being a girl uh, playing in, in Mississippi with only one rank to a girl who ended up playing with RIT, BU, and eventually moving overseas to play in Sweden for a professional season, and how she's also transitioned from being an athlete into a professional career and also staying within the the hockey community. And as always, if you guys enjoyed this episode, if you find it valuable, please hit that follow button on whatever platform you're listening to us on and go ahead and share this with a friend on social media. And if you feel really inclined, please, please go ahead and leave us a rating or a review. This is really going to help the podcast grow and reach more athletes just like yourself. But before we get into today's episode, we want to take a moment to thank our partner, Flowcode. As elite athletes, we know that in order to get into our peak state of performance, it requires that we get into flow. But most athletes experience flow by accident and not on purpose. With the FlowHub 7 Biohack Portal, you get access to an array of different flow techniques with their flow lessons, triggers, and programs, and you can stop leaving your game to chance and elevate your game by purposely getting into flow. Sign up today by going to www.theflowhub.com and get 10% off your subscription using the code IAM10. That's IAM10 in all caps at theflowhub.com. And now here is our conversation with Reagan Rust. All right, everybody, welcome back to Inside the Athletic Mind. Taylor and I are so excited to have a special guest with us here today, Reagan Rust. Uh, Reagan was a former teammate of mine, unfortunately, only for a season, sad, but um, I also played against her while we were in Sweden, again, only for part of a season. (laughs) Um, but Reagan is like, I like to call her a social media extraordinaire. If you've seen her on TikTok or Instagram, you know her stuff. Um, and she's also currently the, a coach and a director for the LA Lions girls hockey program, which is sick seeing a brand new program coming out of California. Love to see the growth in the game. Um, she started out her college hockey career at RIT and then finished at Boston University. And we're super excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of want to just dive right into it. I'm, you're from Mississippi, correct? Yes. The, how, the deep, deep south. <laughs> how did you get into hockey? What was that journey like? Super random. And honestly, it was because of my aunt. So my aunt started going to the Memphis River Kings hockey games back when I was like three or four years old. And that happened to be like one of the only ranks in the entire state of Mississippi. And so when she was going to that, um, she started bringing us probably like the second year that um, we probably could go. I don't know, four years old is probably a good age to start taking kids to a hockey game. (laughs) And then the next year, like we got pretty close to the players because we'd always do like the post-game skates and everything. And they told me and my sister, oh, you guys should come out. There's going to be plenty of girls. It's going to be so much fun. We're starting this whole new rec league for you guys. And then like we show up and it's me, my sister, one other girl and 30 little boys. And so uh, we started playing there for probably like five years. Um, but like by playing, I mean, we were getting ice time like once a month because <laughs> that's just how it worked. Everybody had to split the ice because there's so many things going on. Um, and then ended up playing in Nashville for the Flyers. And then I went to um, Pittsburgh Penguins Elite. That was AAA. And then I've been all over the world now. <laughs> you know that part. <laughs> yeah. Um, when did you know that like 
hockey was going to be a thing for you, like going from skating once a month to then moving to the East coast and billeting. What was that like? I, it was actually fifth grade. Yeah. I knew in fifth grade, which is kind of a weird, I don't know why fifth grade is just super specific, but my brother was getting married in Panama City, Florida. And I was uh, on like the rooftop of this house. Like we ran out of this big house for our entire family. And my uncle and I started just like brainstorming. He's like, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, that's a good question. He's like, let's make a 10 year plan. I was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and so on the 10 year plan, I put down like, I want to be a brain surgeon. I want to play uh, hockey at Harvard. I want to go to prep school and play Team USA, all these things. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first time, like I even thought about that like uh, I don't even know where it came from I just like saw it and I was like yeah that's what I want to do and so then the journey kind of went from there started playing AAA hockey in middle school and then um, moved around five different times for high school yeah that's insane I think it's it's so cool number one to hear that you're coming from an area where you had one rink in the state to you know making this 10-year plan in Florida of all places where like there also wasn't a lot of hockey at the time either so what was your first exposure to like knowing that you could get to that level? I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even know how I knew there was a team USA in the fifth grade because I hadn't seen it before. I just assumed um, yeah. that I had been watching like the pro hockey guys. And I was like, wow, like they can make a career out of it. Like I kind of want to do that too. Like I, I didn't have any like sights set on playing pro hockey. I just wanted to get to the next level. And I knew that was like, okay, well, there's gotta be something in college. Cause I was seeing all these other sports around me. And then it was like, once I got out of like double A hockey, so um, probably like my seventh grade year, I started seeing more and more. So like Watchhorn, for example, I have a picture with her and it was when she was playing with Team Canada back in like eighth or ninth grade. I was in like my awkward phase, you know, but I had like (laughs) Mary Philip Hoolan on one side then I had Tara Watchhorn and all these other like Team Canada players. So random, like full circle having her as a coach too. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was like probably eighth grade time. I was like, whoa, like they're good. Like that's sick. Like I want that. And so probably middle school. That was was the time. (laughs) That's awesome. So moving forward and, and getting into like the college space and and leaving a billeting situation, you're already away from home. How was the transition to college hockey? It was a little bit difficult. Not going to lie. I think it's pretty difficult for most young athletes. Like it's a big jump because we don't have the same thing that boys have where they get to go play juniors and build their confidence and get a few more years and mature before they actually go to college. And mm-hmm. so when I got there, I was actually placed as a forward when the year before I'd been playing fully defense, but before my senior year, I was a forward full time. Mm-hmm. And so playing defense, I was like, Oh, I'm actually a lot better at defense. And I had like been hinting at the coach is like, okay, like I know you brought me in as a forward defense, but am I going to get a chance to play defense? He's like, no, like we have enough D right now. Like, It'll be fine for it's like okay so I just kept playing I was fourth line <laughs> it was brutal I like the first seven games and I barely got any playing time but like every single day I just got on the ice got on the ice so I could like feel more comfortable just even moving the puck and shooting and everything trying to catch up to speed and then the game that he puts me back on defense like seven games in I end up getting my first assist and I'm like yep this is for me and then I just like go on a spree from there um but yeah, it was, it was a hard transition at first. Everything's new. Even like the building situation, you're, you're there, you're with teammates you've been with for a while. But when you're going to college, like there are girls that are like 22 years old. Like it's a way different experience versus like I was probably 17 or maybe just turned 18 whenever I went to college. And so um, getting up to speed is probably one of the hardest things once you get to college. Yeah, I can relate to that 100%. Um, I'm curious though, like, so Lauren said that you were at RIT and then you made the switch to BU. So what kind of prompted that entire transition for you? There was a lot that was going on. First of all, we were like the worst team in the country and not that you should transfer just because you're in the worst place team in the country, whatever. Um, but we didn't have a great culture and that's kind of what I needed to survive in college because you're going through so much together like you're training all the time you're in school you're working you're you're dealing with all these relationship problems and like all these friendships and family and everything and so like you really need that that support system and I didn't feel like I had that at RIT and so the losing obviously didn't help and I'm a super competitive person I wanted people to be on like the same wavelength as me and so after like my second year of it like not going so well and having issues with the coach like I started I got pretty depressed 
was like, okay, I definitely need to make a change now. And so I didn't even know that I was going to be you. I just kind of resigned from um, RIT. And then I was like, well, I guess I'll figure it out from here. I don't know if I'm going to play anymore, but we're going to do our best. And I just contacted everyone I could and it ended up working out. How did that feel for you though? Like, I feel like for a lot of people the to make like a big decision to say like, I'm going to resign from this school and like not have any sort of plan in place. Like, what were you kind of feeling emotionally in that moment? I knew that I was depressed and so it couldn't get any worse from there. <laughs> and so um, I was obviously very scared. Like there was a lot of nights where I was crying because I wasn't consulting anyone about this because I was scared. Like if I told anyone that it would get out to my other teammates or um, the coaches and I was like I was terrified of it getting to the coaches before like I actually made my final decision and so um, I had been talking to a girl that had graduated from the team already and she put me in contact with some other girls that had transferred out and they kind of reassured me like yeah this was one of the best decisions I made and so I kind of just trusted myself I was like well if it can't get any worse like let's just go for it and so um, after many pros and cons lists I decided to walk into the office the day before spring break started and was like, yeah, I'm, um, I actually just asked for my like release form. And he's like, what do you mean? And then it was just explosion from there. (laughs) My gosh. It was scary, but it was worth it. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting though. Cause we taught, we just talked to, uh, the co-founder of hone athletics, which is like a really cool program that allows coaches to kind of get a glimpse at what their student athletes um, mental health looks like. And they use different factors like your social life, your relationships, your school, all those kind of stressors and puts it into a big picture. So coaches can tell, but I mean, I've heard from countless athletes that they're afraid to tell their coaches that they're struggling, right? Cause your immediate reaction is, well, it's going to play into my playing time. It's going to cut into that. They're not going to trust me or they're going to bench me right away because they're going to think I'm some like fragile piece of glass that needs to be handled with care and can't, you know, go forward. So what was that like for you? Cause I'm assuming that you battled through feelings of depression for quite a while before you were like, okay, I know what I need to do. Mm-hmm. So it like my freshman year went pretty good. Um, team, Team-wise, it was okay. Um, personally, like on the ice, it was good. Everything like off ice, like I had a lot of friends outside of the program, which made it a lot easier for myself. Um, but then throughout the summer, my relationship with my coach changed, like kind of a 180 where like I was one of his favorites and I became one of his most hated. And it was really challenging because I had opened up to him before. He, he basically said to me, um, like my freshman year, because I, I told him that like, I wasn't really close to my family. I didn't have a huge support system. He's like, oh, well, anytime like you need to come talk to me, like you can, like, I'll be here. Like I can be that figure for you. And I was like, perfect. Like I can trust him. Like he, he made it seem like I could trust him. And as soon as I let on to like those things that were going on into my life, then it started, it didn't affect my playing time because I couldn't bench the person that's actually playing well. <laughs> and so, um, but it was affecting like the meetings I was having. It was like affecting like my um, the atmosphere that I felt at the rink where I wasn't feeling as wanted as I was before. And so, um, that was, it was really hard to open up. And like, after that relationship changed, I was like, yep, I'm going to take what I was saying here down to like 10 notches and not say anything. Mm -hmm. And so I was holding it in, but like telling other people outside, obviously like my friends and everything, but coaching relationship was different. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious. You said that, like, obviously you're d- struggling with all these emotions going on. And then obviously like your coach was able to bench you because you're playing well, but I find typically like if somebody's struggling mentally, they're also struggling to perform on the ice. So kind of what, what did you do to kind of separate that? So you were able to be performing at a level that you were happy with. Fortunately for me, or unfortunately, however you want to see it, um, when I was 14, I almost committed suicide. So I'd already been in a really bad place before. And during that time, when I was 14 years old, I was like the captain of my two hockey teams. I was on the basketball team, the track, cross country, tennis, swim, all those teams all at one time. And so I was overachieving while doing that because that was the only thing that shut my brain off was just doing, doing, doing. 
And so whenever I was going through all of like the mental health stuff, I just trained harder. Like that's all I did. I didn't focus really on school. Well, my, my grades were okay. They were, they were good. They were B's, A's and B's, but um, I just focused on hockey and that's all I did. And I knew it was like my safe haven. And that's why like I was able to like stay in the game so much, but I read a ton of books like on mental performance and like mental health and how to stay mentally in the game, even when you're not feeling good. And so I would have a few anxiety attacks, that's for sure. But for the most part, I made it through it um, without really anybody actually knowing. It's so interesting as like elite level athletes, whenever something happens, we're like, okay, how do I fix this without involving anybody else? Because I need to be able to fix it myself. And if I can't fix it myself, well, then I'm a total failure. So it's, 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 um, I mean, I think it's a common thread for a lot of people, right? When they struggle mentally and you have this feeling of, well, I shouldn't be, what can I do to stop it? It's, it's, it's like this intense amount of compartmentalization that happens, which like you're talking about, it works for a little bit and it mm-hmm. gets you maybe to that point where like you're performing well, but when you're away from the ice and you don't have, especially in college, you don't have five other sports that you're playing anymore because you're only allowed to play one for the most part. Mm-hmm. Then when you're away from the rank, it could just you'd be able to see how it would be all consuming at times, right? Like you've got your schoolwork, but other than that, it's just you and your thoughts at one point. Yeah. The thing about me is that I always need to be doing something. Yeah. I don't know why I I have a little bit of ADHD and that might be the issue, but when I wasn't at the rink, I was going like 24 seven, like go, go, go. And if I wasn't with my my hockey teammates I was with like my outside friends so the lacrosse guys I was throwing the crossballs or I was with the soccer team and like kicking soccer balls or I was going on um, adventures with the photography people like all the photographers at school mm-hmm. I was friends with them because I knew that they like to go find the cool place they like to get out of it so like when I wasn't in the environment I was actually really happy when I wasn't at the break I was extremely happy and I was doing all these things I love to have these other hobbies um, I journaled a lot I started meditating and I also like I always had a therapist like I've had a therapist for like, the past 10 years of my life and so I found somebody at the school to talk to even though he was like the nutritionist I don't know why I was talking to him but he like he felt like a safe person to talk to and he was free so I went to him and I just unloaded everything and he would like give me the advice that I needed but like it's really hard to um, separate everything that's going on when hockey is such a huge piece of your life like you're saying like hockey's still 60 plus percent of your day you know and so even when you get outside you're always like dreading waking up the next morning to go back to it yeah absolutely so what was it like for you once you made that decision and you knew where you were going what was the the mental shift that occurred for you or was there a mental shift it it's kind of weird because the way that my recruiting went is that like I was for example I was talking to Merrimack at the time Um, and so I wasn't even in contact with BU. And so I was talking to Merrimack, they made it seem like they wanted to bring me on. Like they had a little bit of scholarship because, you know, Merrimack is expensive. Uh, Mm Um, it's a private school. And I think they ended up offering me like $5,000. I was like, I'm screwed. Like, I'm not gonna have another team to go to. (laughs) Like I cannot afford to only get 5,000 scholarship. And then, um, one of my old coaches actually from Penn's elite, she put me in contact with the BU coaches and I went on an official visit. Uh, everything seemed good. The girls liked me, you know, it's just like a quick 20, 48 hour visit. And they ended up saying like, yeah, we'll get back to you like this week. And that week I was going on vacation in California. And so like the whole vacation, I'm just like, is BU going to call me? Are they going to offer me? And then one of the programs got cut, North Dakota. I was like, no, I'm not going to get offered. (laughs) I was like, they're going to take these North Dakota girls. Granted, they did take one North Dakota girl. But they also brought me on too, because one of the freshmen that was supposed to be going in that year, something happened with like her grades or like not getting the right qualifications to get into college. And so Mm -hmm. I ended up getting that spot. And so they offered it to me, that program got cut. I was like, oh my God, he's going to revoke it. He's going to take it back. Cause like, I'd heard of like stories like that happening. And so for like a hot minute, at least like a month, I was sitting in fear that he was going to take away the scholarship. And so I'm like, please send me the paper, please send me the paper. (laughs) Yeah, but then after like I committed, 
I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want it to be weird at school. Like I was still seeing my old hockey teammates. I was watching them train while I was training at like the quote unquote NARP gym. And um, yeah, it was weird for a little bit. But then as soon as like I finished uh, my last exam or whatever, I packed up everything, drove to BU and started summer school. So like that transition was really quick for me. Yeah, it was it was it was nice though. Mm-hmm. Just keep going. <laughs> oh my gosh! No didn't breaks. Even take, didn't even take a break. Just yep, right no. from one school to the next. Get going. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Got to do it sometimes. Mm-hmm. How did you like BU in comparison to RIT? Then, like in terms of the culture, right? You said that was something that was super important for you to be able to like function and and kind of enjoy the experience. I loved it. So at first, obviously, it was a little rocky because I was dealing with like the PTSD from everything that happened at RIT. Um, and so I went through like a, a rough patch for like the first month or two, maybe first three months. But then after the fact, like all my teammates, it was so random. Like I remember at the very end of the first semester summer term, one of the teammates that I hadn't really talked to, but it was just she and I left on campus. She's like, hey, you want to go get lunch? I was like, yeah, like that would be great. And so we went and got lunch and I was like, wow, this is going to be a lot different. Like, I didn't think it would be this easy to start making friends with the girls. And like, they were so welcoming. Like I had one of my best friends who I ended up going to Budapest with. Um, She was one that was always there for me. The coaches, I actually felt comfortable opening up to them. And um, I remember even later into the year, I actually lost a friend to suicide. And the day that it happened, I still went to the rink and I was training. I made through training, but I wasn't like I was like dead silent. And you, I don't know, like Lauren, you know me, I'm super talkative. I'm like bubbly, <laughs> like outgoing. I'm always trying to crack jokes. I didn't say a single word that entire training. And I went and talked to um, one of our GAs at the time. He was the first person I spoke to about it. I just broke down crying. And then like, I was almost late to the ice. I got on the ice, but obviously, you know, you have to tell something like, like something major like that happens to the coach. And so I'm like stretching on the ice like I normally do. And I'm just like, I'm actually crying on the ice, like trying to hold it together. But each coach came up to me like one by one and was like, hey, if you don't want to be here, like, that's okay. Like, we totally understand. Take whatever time you need. I was like, no, like, I really do want to be here. Like, this is like, I know this is where he'd want me to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like little things like that showed me basically just the community that I was looking for. And even another example is I was driving to Pittsburgh one summer school had ended and the head coach, Brian DeRoche, who's still there, best guy ever. Um, I had told him like a month prior, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be driving to Pittsburgh once this uh, summer term's over. And he goes, okay, cool. Like, I hope you have a lot of fun. As I'm driving 10 hours to Pittsburgh, he calls me like on the drive. I didn't even remind him. He's like, hey, just wanted to check in and see like, did you make it on the, to Pittsburgh yet? I was like, how did you know? Like I was literally driving. That's awesome. <laughs> and, yeah, so he always checks in. Like, he still checks in on me, which is, like, all the players, too. It's not just me. He'll call everyone. Um, so that it, it was a lot different. I'm so close to all the girls that I was there with, like, even one that I'm planning on meeting up with in Sweden. Mm-hmm. So it's it feels really good to still have that even three years out. Yeah. One of the biggest things that – I think we can talk to younger athletes about and something that I say whenever I'm talking to recruits now is like, you have to find a fit for you. Right. And, and the fit goes so far beyond like the facilities and the school itself. It's so much of your experience is made up by the people that surround you on a daily basis. I would argue that that's like 85 plus percent of your experience is the people around you. And it's such a testament to what you're talking about, right? Like you get to be you and you're struggling one day and people key in on it because they know who you are and they understand how you work. And just that small thing of saying, hey, if you don't want to be here today, we get it. Like take the time. I think that's one of the biggest things that you can do as a coach and even as a teammate is just, we're not asking you to solve the problem. It's just let somebody know that you understand what they're going through. And if you don't have an environment like that around you, it makes the experience really freaking difficult and not very enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, I would have to agree. If I didn't have my teammates and my coaches at the U, I probably would not be here right now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's because of them that I'm still around, like still kicking. And now like I have so many good things. Like I take back, I took one of my teams back like last summer to go to BU and 
um, the BU coach, Brian, started walking around and he saw him and he just like, stopped and said hello. He was like, yeah, you can give him a tour. Go ahead. Take him in the locker room. Here's the coat. I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> but, like summertime. And it was just like those type of things, those matter obviously to the kids too. It's like they see that he's willing to chat. Like he's willing to like let you see all the facilities. Like he's going that extra mile just because he knows that that experience is going to like last all throughout their childhood and like even on like that those are some of my favorite memories is touring like at Harvard for example I had a coach that took me there and that environment is just a key piece having people that are on the same page that want the same thing have the same goals and are going to work towards it yeah well that's one thing we talk about all the time right is like it's really easy to get caught up in like the hype of being like a champion or being championship team or whatever that is. And then it's like, you forget like why you started in the first place. It's because you love the sport and it's fun and you like enjoy being with your teammates because they make the experience way better than as if it was just you and a bunch of random people that you either don't know or don't get along with. Right. Like, I think we can all kind of say we've been on teams where you know, the culture has been really, really amazing. And you have these amazing friendships with people that last a lifetime versus being on a team where like the culture is shit. The coaches mm -hmm. are unsupportive and like nobody really kind of meshes the way that a team's supposed to mesh. Like there's such a big like difference there. And I think when it comes to like making sure that the younger girls are making decisions that are going to be good for them. That's one thing that we need to be like emphasizing a lot more is like, like Lauren said, like the fit of the school is goes way beyond just like, Oh, I really want to play at an Ivy league school. Okay. Well, if you go to an Ivy league school and you aren't enjoying the campus or you're not enjoying the people that you're surrounded with, it's pretty good chance. You're not going to enjoy the experience either. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. Hey, if you want to go to an Ivy league school and you're already struggling in high school, <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's going to get turned up a little bit and you might not enjoy it as much. That's yeah, like exactly one of the things too, is when you get these young athletes are like, Oh, I want to play division one. I, I want to play in this league. And it's like, okay, why, why, why do you want to? And half the time they won't actually say it, but like, it's like, Oh, well, everyone says that that's the best. It's like, mm -hmm. no, it doesn't matter what other people say. Like you have to understand and get to know yourself good enough to know that, Hey, actually, it doesn't really matter what league that I'm playing in. What matters to me is the people. What matters to me is the degree programs that are offered and all that kind of stuff. And, but being able to separate the, like the social expectation from what you actually want is, I mean, I couldn't do it at that age. I don't think, I think sometimes I still struggle with it. So <laughs> yeah, I've actually, I've been talking to a lot of my girls about that. I'm like, it's not just about playing D1 or like playing in college. It's like, you really do need to find a fit for you. Otherwise you're, the experience is going to be very, very challenging. Um, and like, even I'm going to shout out my, uh, my 14 U lions, but we had camp this past week and on the ice, like we were playing games. And so like they're battling against each other, you know, one team versus the other. And whenever a team would win, like they would huddle. And I was like, this is like our first week really together. And like, you guys are already this close. Like that warms my heart because I know how long those friendships can last. And like, I'm still friends with girls that I was on team with when I was like 11, you know, or like even five, I tripped my best friend on a breakaway at five years old. And we both remember it and we hated each other at first, but like now we're best of friends. And like, all of those friends that you take with you throughout your lifetime, it's, it's honestly priceless. Mm -hmm. So how are you taking what you learned throughout your whole journey and the struggles that you went through and the successes that you had? How are you bringing that into your work as a coach now? In a ton of different ways. I think about the games. <laughs> how do you like make it fun for the girls? Like, at the end of the day, especially when you're coaching 12 youth girls, they need to have fun or they will not play anymore. Like they will not have the motivation. They won't show up. And so it's kind of fine balance because obviously they're not as developed yet as like a 14 year, like that two years, that makes a huge difference. I didn't realize it until I started coaching, but like the personalities on the team, how much closer the 14s are versus like 12, they're still a little bit awkward. Like they're still getting to know each other. Um, and so I just talk about that. I'm like, yeah, the girls that I met at 12, you, I'm still friends. I told all the parents, I told them like the community, like, I have some girls that are dual rostering right now and I'll, all of them come back and say, 
I love the community with the female athletes, like being with my girls hockey team. I'm like, I know. And I'm telling you, like, that was the best decision I ever made. Like, I'm a product of girls hockey. Like, I, I stopped playing boys when I was like 12 years old because I wanted to play girls hockey because they were so much more fun because they're so much more supportive. And so like, I try to work in that stuff as well as like taking them back to the schools and being able to take them to showcases where like they can see all these other different colleges and like understand what the process looks like. I have girls ask me all the time, like, wait, you play it overseas? Like, that's a thing? I was like, yeah, you can play overseas if you want. Like, that's actually a career path you could take for a decent amount of your time if you want to. And just like the recruiting process and going to prep school, like all these girls, they just ask me all these different questions. And I kind of just sit there and answer whatever they need. I love that. I think one of the best parts of our generation, especially like around our age and even a little bit older is how much we're starting to give back to the sport. I think we all recognize that women's hockey is kind of like on the precipice of something and all of us are like, yeah, no, we're not letting dads coach anymore. Like, thank you, dads, everybody who contributes. I love you all. Thanks for making it happen. But like girls need female mentors. I never had one growing up. My first female coach was when I was in high school. And I honestly, like, because of that, didn't even understand that there was a college level to play at until I was in ninth grade. I didn't even know the NCAA women's hockey side of things existed. I still wanted to play in the NHL. Um, so I, I love that you're, you're doing that and that you're also placing an emphasis on like fun because it's, it's a game. We play a game and as serious as it gets, if you're not enjoying it, what's, what, what's the point? Right. And I said that to our team on one of our team zoom calls Cause we were all talking about like, why are you playing hockey? What are you looking forward to? And people are talking about the community, creating a legacy, you know, getting some wins maybe or whatever. And I go, what about having fun? <laughs> and a couple yeah. of looked at me and they're like, oh, oh yeah, I guess we could do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think I missed a big piece of that when I was at RIT, um, I was always like, I just need to be the best that I can be for my team. Like, I just need to be that team player, like all of that. And so like, I put so much pressure where I wasn't really having as much fun anymore. But then when I went to BU, like we had, for example, I think it's called the Sikolsky Cup, which was like an old BU manager, like of the team. And it's literally, it's gotta be like duct taped around plastic or something along those lines and his face plastered on it. Like, that's it. That's what the trophy is. And so it was like a three on three tournament. And then we had, um, the pumpkin classic where they would literally go buy a pumpkin left from one to three on three tournament would get this pumpkin but we played baseball and um we were down I think we were down 14 runs to zero oh. <laughs> and we had the biggest baseball comeback in like the U.S. history we, we called it ourselves we we honestly we think it was like 16 17 runs that we got in one inning to oh win God. the game <laughs> and so like those are all the memories that I remember I mean obviously the bean pot too like that was a blast obviously but um it was always the fun games that like I go back to that remind me of like why it was so much fun or like the pain you know the pain of doing the the beep test and like oh don't even get me started yeah. <laughs> like those things you laugh about now but it was crazy back then yeah yeah beyond crazy I'm like, i don't know how it was for you guys at bu but like at our school they told us like if you don't get a 10 on the beep test like you're not even going to get rostered sorry <laughs> bye that's it so like there was i think there was like a week where we had testing and i, I ran the beep test every single day for like five days in a row and when i finally got to 10 i was like at the blackout phase like i like couldn't see <laughs> anything anymore <laughs> i just heard 10 i was like hey i'm done that's it <laughs> that was that was actually pretty similar um but we have the, the usa skate test so you know you start on the blue line go down to the goal line and back up seven times you have to hit like a minute and three or four seconds um eat averaged out that one was brutal it doesn't sound like it's hard because you only do it twice but like it is the hardest two minutes of your life yeah um and at rit he made us run i think 4150s 4150 shuttles um and then oh we had, for yeah. for testing we had 12 300 shuttles so if any of your girls complain like I don't want to hear it tell them tell them the story about my 12 300 yard shuttles <laughs> I'm sitting here going like 
our fitness testing was like team bonding. <laughs> we did. I, I wish ours was. Oh my god. We literally did a. All we did was a 10-10 treadmill test. So like, put the treadmill on 10 speed, 10 incline, go for as long as you can. And like everybody on the team is around you on the treadmill. You pick like a song that you want to be played. And then like all of us would pick our song and pick the starting point. And we would literally know once we hit a minute because we would time it using our song. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and it wasn't, we didn't even have a benchmark. They were like, if you get over a minute, that's great. If you don't, maybe you should work on your cardio. <laughs> And then uh, we did a VO2 max test, which was like he wore the mask on the treadmill um, and they slowly start to increase the speed and the incline. But again, mm-hmm. we did it because we were in a research study. So, oh like, my God. God. We, I'm actually laughing probably... at this because Sarah Nurse, when we were in junior together, like, like Stacy trained us super hard. Like we had like the yeah. most ridiculous off ice and, and on ice in junior. And Stacey was always like, I'm just preparing you for the university level. Like, this is what they're <laughs> going to expect. And then Sarah comes back after having her first year at Wisco. She's like, Stacy, you fucking lied to me. <laughs> like, oh, our fitness testing is a fucking joke. Yeah. It's, it's Dude, like that- nuts. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's probably why you guys are so good is because you don't have the pressure to perform. You guys just perform because you have like that close knit environment and you guys are like, it's a fun environment, but also you guys have the same goal, which is obviously national championship. And you guys have won plenty of them at this point. But like that, that testing is like the most stressful part of the season for me personally. I hated it. Yeah. Well, and I think the other part of it is like we had expectations elsewhere. So we had like, we called them optional mandatory um, summers. So like you didn't have to be there, but it was strongly encouraged. And I remember talking to our coaches about it and they were like, we really, it's not a bad thing if you're not here, but we're acknowledging that we think you're going to miss out on a lot, like not just workout wise, because they would give you the same workouts to take home, but team bonding wise, because we were up together in the gym every morning at 7am doing like an hour and a half long workout. You got 7am? No. (laughs) Yeah, we got we got a decent time. We got like five thirty. No. <laughs> no, I thought seven a.m.s were bad in college, but um, and then you had the rest of the day, and you took like one or two courses max to get it out of the way. So we'd end up like we always went on a rafting trip in the summer, and Madison is a super fun place to be in the summer months. So we'd end up finding stuff to do around there. But yeah, like it's. We're talking about this now too with our team and we're doing fitness testing. And the first thing that we said to the girls is like, this is for you. Like, we're not saying that there's, you have to hit this. We're saying that there's expectations for what you should be around just because that's like a baseline for if you want to be able to make it through a 60 minute hockey game, you might want to be around this. But if you're not, it's not like we're saying you're done you're not gonna play I love the way that you framed that like that's how I think that's how it should actually be approached though like instead of saying like if you don't get this you're not gonna roster like make it so it's like okay like this is like the bare minimum standard that you should expect yourself to be at in order to be a great athlete and Mm -hmm. then kind of turn it into like a if you want to get better like you're just bracing against yourself right like kind of put it in that sort of a mindset and then it it encourages people to keep pushing their own limits. Yeah. And if we think about the mindset of that, right. So like you approach fitness testing with the idea of like, if I don't get this, that I'm not going to play. What does that throw you in? That throws you into scarcity, right? You're terrified of losing what you already have. Um, You're starting from a place where you're probably already experiencing a lot of limiting beliefs. Like, oh, I've only ever made it to 10 on the beep test once. I hope that happens today or else I'm not playing, or you can frame it this way as like, if, if you have an understanding that it's a standard that you want to hit for fitness reasons, but it's not going to negatively impact you if you don't hit it right now, then it's like, oh, let me push myself. Like, let me see where I'm at. Let me get that bench line so I can figure it out and then compete against myself moving forward to get better at it. And I mean, intimidation factor aside I think that they both do 
the same thing. Like they motivate people, but one of them motivates people in a much more sustainable way. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember every time I went in to do the beep test, like I was always like, this is gonna suck. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think anybody's going in like thinking like they're super excited about it by any means but like there's definitely a more positive way to to look at it and also maybe you take away some of the the anxiousness that comes with performing under pressure in that type of situation yeah mm-hmm. we could go on and on about fitness <laughs> yeah we could ptsd yeah yeah right <laughs> literally just sum it up with that um but Reagan you're you've kind of transitioned out of sport now right like you played your last season in Sweden um and I mean from what I know it sounds like you really enjoyed it but if you want to sum that up yeah (laughs) um yeah my time in Sweden was literally everything I could have asked for and more mine is like the losing piece like we won a few games here and there um we ended up going down we got relegated for a little bit um so we played obviously Malmo for two games so the first game was like a killer I don't know blowout and then the next one was like a we won in the last five seconds and like that celebration was just like icing on the cake like how many people get to go out of their career saying like I won the last game I ever played you yeah know? <laughs> so, not me like, that was, <laughs> not many not many at all and so um yeah that was it was just a lot of fun like the living with people for the first time in a while was like having roommates and all of that was definitely an experience but there's some of my best friends like I'm already planning on visiting them um when I was in Finland this past May working with the IHF my roommate from Sweden actually lived in the city, Tampere, Finland. And so like, I went over to her house and did my laundry there. I stayed with like my captain when I was in Sweden. Um, I'm going to go visit my, one of my good friends slash best friends now in Budapest that she's going to be playing over there. And so there's like that sense of community that I got from them and um, really like showing up to the rink every day and like knowing that we were just going to shoot the shit. Like that was the best experience. And um I think it's a completely different lifestyle too like you experienced it Lauren I mean you too um you guys both understand that the European lifestyle is completely different from like the American Canadian lifestyle where it's like go 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 they're like yeah let's just go let's take the day off let's there's a reason I still live here let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly and so yeah I loved it my time there was awesome couldn't recommend it more to any of the players that are thinking about playing overseas um and just a great experience overall yeah yeah I would agree with that right like they just show up they're like oh yeah let's go play some hockey today it's gonna be freaking <laughs> hard you're gonna get bagged but like let's do it why not <laughs> you guys got bag skated we didn't that's why oh my god no all of our practices were like undercover baggers I remember we were so like the first day that I got there keep in mind that like because I was in the PWHPA still we were only and number one I wasn't in a like a city where they had a team. So I was literally playing games once a month and skating like as a player once a week, maybe like I was playing roller hockey more frequently than (laughs) ice hockey by the time I got there. So like, let's just say I did not have the full breadth of my hockey legs or lungs back. So like the first week I'm there, I'm just sucking dirty pond water. Like I am not doing well at all. And then I had two practices before we played and, um, our first, our first gate was like, I would equate it to what we called a moving Monday at college where like everything's full ice. You're just moving really quick. A lot of flow drills, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, like feel like my legs are getting a little bit better. Great. Well, tailor off. We've got a game in two days. So tomorrow's pregame skate. No, <laughs> not at all. It was like a battle Tuesday on a Friday. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I uh, was not ready for this. And then, you know, Saturday comes around and I played 36 minutes in a game. And yeah, I was toast. <laughs> like, I absolutely toast. Um, some serious ice time for a first game back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and they were like, Yo, so you feel good? And I was like, yeah. Dead. Absolutely. I feel Meanwhile, like turning around, trying not to puke. Literally. 
in between in between periods with like my head in between my knees just like trying to slow my breathing yeah it was this is gonna be me in literally like two weeks so yeah yeah. Taylor's starting back up with the pro team yeah I'm playing for team Kazakhstan and I haven't been on the ice since May (laughs) oh wait you're in Kazakhstan right now no I'm in Germany but I'm only gonna be playing like their European trips so I'll like live train practice here and then I just go traveling with them for like a month at a time on the road. Just a month at a time? Yeah, just a month. Super short period. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm actually really looking forward to it, but I'm, I don't know. I've I've heard that like, they don't really practice with a lot of intensity, which I'm a little bit concerned about because uh, apparently they need some defense. So if if anybody needs a team to play for, you know, just let me know. Um, (laughs) But yeah, they're, the one girl who I actually played against with um in university she was like yeah you're gonna see a lot of shots this season I was like mm-hmm. okay perfect thanks for the heads up <laughs> exactly what you need to get back into it um yeah. oh Lauren you reminded me when you were saying like you hadn't played because you're playing the PW yeah. that was the same thing for me like the coach DM'd me on Instagram and was like hey like I saw you on elite prospects or something along those lines <laughs> um do you have any interest in coming over to Sweden? I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I didn't play this last season because I went to Budapest and then didn't even play a game because of COVID. And then I was in the PW, so we played two weekends. So I practically haven't played in two full years. I was like, oh yeah, like I've been training. <laughs> no, I was like, and I got over there. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just, just that I'm jet lagged. Don't worry about it. Like I'll be up to speed in like a week. <laughs> God. I got back into it. We're good. We're good. Everything worked out. I am on the oh jet lag. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Sometimes you just gotta tell a little white lie and then you'll make it through. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes you just gotta jump and expect your feet to catch you. And the majority of the time they will, like you'll figure it out. Yep. And I think it's so funny though, because I remember getting ready to leave and somebody was asking me about it and they're like, oh, so like, you've been you've been playing you've been you've been keeping up with stuff and I was like no no (laughs) I supposed to (laughs) no and uh and they go like well how do you think that's gonna go like not playing and then jumping in and it's like it's not like I've forgotten how to play (laughs) I've been playing my whole life I might be able to get back into it yeah And, and also you're a mental performance coach too. So like you think about the game all the time and like how to see the ice. And so that's why like, I didn't have a huge struggle. Like I was always thinking about hockey. I just wasn't playing it so much. So like, yeah. at least my mind knew what to do. And it was telling my body for the most part what to do. It's like the same situation for you, I'm sure. Oh, and I actually became like a way better hockey player after I became a mental performance coach. It was nuts. I really yeah. wish that I had that in college. <laughs> I know we could have been so good dang it (laughs) next time yeah but um anywho like you're you're out of hockey now and you're doing like so much with social media everywhere like you've you've been with the double IHF um your coverage on the tournament by the way was insane yeah I want to talk about that like that was wicked oh my god yeah what do you want to know about it? Cause it was a, a trip. How did you get, trip. how did you get into it? Like, I know yeah, you're, like, did they just really contact you? On, you're really active on TikTok and your TikToks are hilarious. Like I love watching them, but like, how did, how did that become something that people were asking you to go and do? Funny that you say that. Cause at first, like I was just running my TikTok just for fun, you know, mm-hmm. and I was doing it all throughout the season. And then, um, I wasn't, I wasn't reaching out to people to do stuff. They just started coming to me through the TikToks. And so when the IHF was at the Olympics, I had posted some TikTok. I don't even know which one it was. I think it was like everybody entering into the locker room or something along those lines. And then the IHF followed me. I was like, oh my God, like, why did they just follow me on TikTok? Cause you know, you see the blue verified check mark. I'm like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and yeah. then, um, and then this lady followed me, this lady, my boss followed me. I'm like, who is this person just randomly following me? Like, who is this? And then she DM, or actually she didn't DM me. She uh, emailed me on like just my my email. It's connected to my Instagram. She's like, hey, this is going to sound really weird, but do you want to be a part of this opportunity? Like sent this like full on email. I'm like, is this a fake email? Like it doesn't look real, you know? Like it was like 
this is a pretty crazy opportunity. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up jumping the on the phone. address on that one. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> but it ended up just being like legit, which is crazy enough to say. But a lot of people don't realize that all the jobs I've gotten since college, minus like my first, um, my first corporate job out of college was from social media. Like my coaching job in Minnesota, I got through TikTok from a guy that I met on TikTok. That's amazing. Um, he's one of my really good friends now. The tick or the IHF job came from TikTok. Um, the going to Nashville, working with like the Predators and like their guest speaker Ryan Shadnitsky through Instagram. Like everything has been through Instagram or TikTok or something along those lines. That's amazing. So that, do mm-hmm. they like basically pay you to get out there and then you do your thing for the week or the weekend and like put everything together from there? Yeah, I, I get to, I like, I have full creative freedom, which is super nice. Um, and so with the IHF, I was wearing a lot of different hats. Like I was doing the pregame skate, which is a pregame show that was happening every day. I was doing the podcast which we would record every single morning I was watching all of the games whether like I need to watch it in both stadiums so sometimes there was four games sometimes there were six games and so like I would have to like put it on point two or time two speed um and then and they're moving real fast out there oh yeah yeah. (laughs) right I'm taking notes I'm like interviewing players I'm um making the TikToks like in a span of three weeks we made 120 TikToks like just like two or three people did that um and and we were like capturing the like the warm-ups we were capturing like okay if it's a tight game like we need somebody on the bench so like I'm running all around the rink interviewing fans going down to the bench and going back to the fans and like writing the script for the next day all of that stuff so it was like 18 hour days yeah it was yeah. a good time insane <laughs> damn it was a blast all right I actually I'm curious though so like for somebody who's gotten a lot of opportunities from social media like TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that like how how long do you spend like creating and editing the content that you're putting out on like a daily basis for like my own content or whenever I'm doing it for other people either one so the IHF actually that content was like relatively quick like probably 10 minutes on the TikTok you can't spend a lot of time on if you're putting out 120 and doing everything yeah else. for sure but like we had some really good ones go crazy viral like millions mm-hmm. and um then for like my personal sometimes I'll spend maybe 30 minutes max um like once you once you know how to do it you you can get it out a lot quicker and like the ideas just flow like I, I'll scroll through through TikTok for a little bit and like I'll just start liking the things and then saving them and like okay how can I put this into hockey terms now or how can I put this into like a sports term how can I put it into a female athlete like how yeah. can I make it fit the niche that I want to fit just and then I just throw them out there and like not everyone's going to be good obviously the algorithm is different what people want changes from day to day and so you kind of mm-hmm. just have to keep putting content out and hope that something hits <laughs> guess and check yeah <laughs> throw everything at the wall and see what sticks it's not a bad bad thing exactly but then you also like you go through the metrics of like okay these people are liking this it's like this amount male female where are they coming from like oh people are commenting we want more team Finland give them team Finland like give the people what they want at the same time but a lot of content too like it really does depend on what social media platform you're going between so like YouTube is obviously different from TikTok obviously different from Instagram and Facebook and like all the demographics are different there and so it's like mm-hmm. curated content based on who your demographic is on each platform. Did you like go to school for communications and like social media strategy or, or what? You just like learned this all on your own. <laughs> I just learned it. Um, I've always had kind of a knack for one, like understanding people and telling stories, but I did study marketing in college, but the difference is like they teach you traditional marketing. So you're going like, this is how you make a business plan, 180 page business plan. But in reality, you only give like a three page business plan to like actual investors. Like they're not going through 120 pages. They don't care. And so I didn't learn really anything there. It was all traditional. But then when I got off and like, I was like, oh, TikTok, let's try this. Let's see what, let's see what this can do. And so um, I've connected with so many people since getting on TikTok and I love it. It's great. That's amazing. Also, kind of detrimental, but great at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I can go down rabbit holes on TikTok. It's dangerous. I just had to set uh, like Timer. a time limit on my phone for like Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok to two hours a day, 
and that's still a lot don't judge yeah. me yeah <laughs> like, mine's set for 30 me. minutes a day so. oh god <laughs> i'm on there way longer don't feel bad um but it's I think it's such a cool conversation to have because especially with the way that college athletics is going now with, um, what is it? The NILs and that athletes can now take advantage of creating a brand on social media for yourself can be such a huge asset in terms of if you're a female athlete and you actually really want to play professionally, but you're not sure that there's enough money in it for you. This is an additional Avenue that you can use. Um, and it's such a, I think it's such a skillful tool. Like you need to know how to do it and develop that skill. But I think the hardest piece is just starting for people because they don't know if anyone's going to like their content or if it's going to catch. Right. And then there's that whole social judgment of like, well, what if I put something out there and no one likes it? So, I mean, you've kind of already said it, but like, what's your biggest piece of advice for people that are thinking about getting into like content creation? there's ebbs and flows to it and you kind of just have it's like the same thing as being an athlete like you're always being judged right as an athlete you're always in the spotlight and so when you're on social media you're also always in the spotlight and you can reach hundreds of millions of people and so you have to be very careful about what you post like I've seen people get decommitted because of their social media posts and so like you really do have to double double check and double think what you're putting out there especially when it comes to your personal brand because a lot of things can be misconstrued even though you didn't mean it that way you know Um, but like it at the same time can be a super powerful tool. Like I know a lot of kids that have their own Instagram pages that have like 10,000 followers because they just post hockey all the time. And I'm like, she probably got committed because a coach found her on Instagram and saw that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think just posting, like, obviously you can't expect to go from like zero to a hundred in one day. Like it's very unlikely that that happens. It's like probably 0.001% that that happens for. And so like being able to like see it as a long-term plan versus like a, I need to do this and I'm going to make this many people and what, like, I'm going to get a thousand followers in one day. Like, no, be realistic with yourself. And so like, same thing as being an athlete, just set goals, set incremental goals. And then you slowly get there over time. Um, and then like finding your own niche, like that's the biggest thing for me, obviously that's hockey and female athletes. And so I'm able to reach a lot of people just because I've like narrowed it down where I'm not like, I'm not trying to cook and I'm not trying to say like, Oh, I'm going to do this crazy workout. And then I'm going to go over here and travel around the world. All that, Even though I do kind of do those things. I don't always post about them. You know, I keep it curated for the people that what they actually want to see. Mm -hmm. Tips from the social media extraordinaire herself. I love it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But just start posting. Honestly, at the end of the day, like, nobody cares. Everybody's going to forget what you post in like maybe a day or two. So just yeah. go ahead and post it. Like nobody's going to care. Yeah. That's like one of my new slogans going forward. It's like, if you're thinking about doing something, nobody cares. Literally yep. <laughs> nobody cares. If you do or you don't, nobody cares. Cause they're all way too concerned about what's going on in their own lives to worry about what's mm-hmm. going on in yours. So just do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Post it. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Literally. What yeah. is worse? nobody <laughs> likes it that's it somebody comments yeah. says, oh i hate this and then you can go okay sure that's fine just Don't send them a heart emo- yeah send them a heart emoji and move on i, I did that today <laughs> somebody comments he i had this repeated tiktok commenter he goes uh what does he say move on or something like that or like oh let me pull it up because it, it cracks me up every single time i see it. i thought about blocking him but i'm like no like this is pretty comedic he says <laughs> Um, oh, he says, turn the page on every single TikTok that I post. So I just started sending him heart emojis. Like, that's all I'm doing for now on. That's Haters, so you, you still boost my algorithm. Thanks. Haters <laughs> going to hate, hate, hate. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I have to run to a client meeting, but it's been great being able to talk to you about all of this. I think probably one of the most, like insightful conversations we've had about the whole like well-rounded aspect of being an athlete um so I really appreciate that yeah thanks for having me on I love having these conversations so it's always fun for me <laughs> love it yeah. well and awesome. uh sorry go ahead Taylor no I was just saying like thanks so much for coming on it's awesome and that you like share like like Lauren said like all of the experience not just like one one aspect of it but the whole like 360 view and I think like for for young athletes that are you know maybe transitioning from 
athletics to entrepreneurship or their career like I think that's also super helpful too and and just how they can kind of like bridge the gap between athletics and and what they're doing outside of it yeah mm-hmm. absolutely gotta follow tagline. your passions yeah tagline nobody cares <laughs> just do yeah. it nobody cares but our own um, commercial <laughs> yeah but as always, uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to, to leave a comment or to, to rate us on whatever platform that you're using. And until next time, uh, feel free to give Reagan a follow if you're looking for some TikToks. Reagan, what's your TikTok? Everyone already probably knows, but what's your TikTok? <laughs> just Reagan Russ, just my name. <laughs> Keep it simple. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, see you guys.